Let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 15. How's everybody doing? Good? I normally rely on smiles, but it's hard. If somebody's watching online, yes, I grew up in West Virginia, and yes, I'm preaching and drinking Mountain Dew at the same time. So, Luke chapter 15. We're going to read Let me say this first before we get into Luke 15. We are receiving our tithe and offering, of course. You can do that this morning. There's yellow envelopes in the back and you can put them in here. Um, or you can give through celebrationchurchwv.com and there is a link there to Tithely or you can go straight to Tithely and search for us. And, and uh, there's multiple ways you can do it. But however you do it, thank you for your giving. Thank you for um, your faithful support of the ministries of the church. We really, really appreciate that and... Uh, your faithfulness is what allows us to continue to have a church here. So thank you so much for that. Um, Luke chapter 15. We're going to read the first 24 verses um, and pray, and then we're going to talk about one of the most famous Bible stories of all time. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the precious truths that are contained here. God, I ask that you would help me to communicate. God, speak through me. Help us to hear what you are saying. Open our hearts to your word and to your mercy and to your love. We pray that this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you heard this story before? Pretty much everybody. Most non-Christians have heard the story of the prodigal son. I mean, in 1992, MC Everlast of House of Pain said, just like the prodigal son, I've returned. I mean, it was in a lyric of a song that really is not... It was, anyway, you guys remember the song, those of you that grew up in the 90s. Anyway, everybody's heard this story. So today, to participate in the story, because I know what happens when you hear a sermon on a story you already know, your mind starts drifting off to the beef stew that you may have prepared later. Anybody guilty of that? Don't raise your hand, I will think less of you. So what we're going to do is I'm going to need participation, and I need, well, I'm just going to have to choose for you, but one side of the room I need to be Pharisees, and one side of the room I need to be dirty sinners. So either way, you're losing, <laughs> no matter which side you're on. <laughs> I need, actually, let's, let's do this, because uh, it'll make sense uh, to me the most. This side gets to be the Pharisees, okay? So, and I'll split right there between Ken and Janet. So Janet will be on this side, and Ken will be on that side. It really doesn't matter. But uh, this side is the Pharisees, and this side are really the common folk and the dirty sinners, okay? Is that a, is that a good way to start? Pharisees, dirty sinners, you are a crowd standing before me, and I just want you to picture, not me, but imagine Jesus being here and he's teaching. Because the context of chapter 15 is Jesus has been preaching, and as he's preaching, crowds are coming to him. And what he was preaching is not the easy stuff. He's not preaching how to have your best life now, by the way. That's not what Jesus is preaching. What Jesus is preaching is, if you don't love, your, uh, love me more than your father and mother, you have nothing to do with me. Jesus is teaching the hard stuff. And that's what's going on in chapter 14. And then he gets, uh, ends with salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will it be restored? He's teaching difficult things. And the most beautiful thing about Jesus and his teaching was it did not matter how difficult it was, it attracted everybody. Everybody wanted to come hear what he was saying. He taught, according to Matthew 8, with authority and not as one like the scribes. They were accustomed to hearing the pontification of educated, erudite scribes and Pharisees with golden-tongued oratory. They were used to that. 
they were not accustomed to Holy Spirit-infused words of power that hit them in the heart and the head. Because when Jesus preached, stuff happened. People were healed, and hearts were turned upside down. People left either in joy or in anger. You were not neutral with Jesus. So, when you look at verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners, that's you guys over here, were all drawing near to Him. But there's another group here, also listening, the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. Can you guys do some grumbling? I want to see some grumbling grumbles. Okay, here we go. All of us are professional grumblers, so it's not really hard to imagine what that sounds like. And here's what the essence of their grumbling was. This man receives sinners and eats with them. That's what you guys are saying. You guys, you Pharisees, are annoyed at the idea that a teacher, a a rabbi, Jesus, would allow this filthy rabble over here, especially tax collectors, which we all know in a Jewish context had betrayed their own people, had turned coat and are working for Rome, and are collecting money on behalf of the Roman oppressors, and they are skimming off the top, and that's how they get paid. They, these are really unpopular people. So tax collectors and sinners, prostitutes, grubby, beer-drinking, good old boys, ugly people, not erudite, not necessarily the brightest of the bright. I'm not, that's, this is just illustration. I'm not, okay? But how in the world does he receive sinners? The word receive, by the way, is used in Luke's Gospel six times, and it really means excitement in anticipation. It's not just that Jesus was passively saying, okay, I got some tax collectors and I got some prostitutes that are listening. I guess if they walked all this way, I will condescend to allow them to stay in my presence. That is not what's happening. Jesus was like, all right, Ashley's here. Yes. He was glad to receive them to come. Now, Jesus knows, because they teach you in public speaking, if you've ever taken public speaking or speech in school, one of the very first things they say is you've got to know your audience. Right? you got to know who you're talking to. Jesus realized he has a crowd that's mixed up in a way that could maybe get ugly. And frequently, the crowds did get ugly. Have you ever noticed that when you've read through the Gospels? Whenever Jesus talked, and later the Apostles, Paul in particular, when they spoke, it made people, the crowd themselves got all stirred up and upset because it brought out all kinds of people and stuck them together, and they were, in particular, segregated in their societies and didn't have anything to do. These groups didn't usually mix. So Jesus tells them, knowing His audience, a story. And the first story He tells is a famous story. Which one of you having a sheep? 99 sheep, you lose one, what are you going to do? You leave the 99 at home, and you go find the one that is lost. And when you find the one that's lost, 
you rejoice. And then Jesus finishes that up in verse 7 by saying, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Who do you think Jesus is talking to? He's talking to both. He's letting the tax collector and the prostitute know there is rejoicing over your return, over your coming to God. And he's letting the Pharisee know God delights in the saving of sinners. He's letting both groups, both of them know something. I take it that the sinner or the Pharisees were not too thrilled. So Jesus just drives it home again. He goes, or what if there's a woman who has ten drachmas, a day's wage, and that time losing a day's wage would have been a big deal. If she loses it, lights a lamp, because it's dark in the house even during the day, because there's probably not windows. And you search and you sweep the house and you find it, and when she finds the coin, she calls people over and rejoices that she found an entire day's wage. I do remember in 2005, the church gave Jennifer and I a, uh, a pastor appreciation gift, which we always appreciate, and it's always wonderful and heartwarming and makes us cry, and it's beautiful. Well, in one of our rages of cleaning up things to go somewhere, um, we threw away the envelope that was filled with not checks that could be rewritten, but a bunch of cash. It was like, it was, it was, it was a significant amount of cash, especially in 2005 when I was selling insurance and I was making somewhere between one and three cents an hour, if you did, a, did the math. Um, uh, it was very significant that the church had given us some money, so I think we wound up paying some electric bills and some other things with it. So it was wonderful. We threw it away. Now, Abby and Hannah may or may not remember this, but I went out into the garbage and it was still hot outside. And I dug through our garbage up to my elbows looking for this envelope. And of course, after 17 bags of garbage or however much was there, and it, you know, you've got a bunch of little kids. How many of you know it's gross and it's sunshine and it really brought out the odor? It was wonderful. Uh, up to my elbows in muck and garbage, I find the envelope dripping with who knows what. And I rejoiced that I found that envelope, because I thought we had thrown it away. It was like two or three hundred dollars, and I thought we had thrown it away. Well, we did throw it away. I just happened to find it. This woman rejoiced. I come into the house. Uh, we found. I got it. That's right. And, and Jennifer's like, "Oh, thank you, Lord." And and then I went and took a shower um, after that. And Jesus says in verse ten, "Just so I tell you, there is joy." before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is trying to drive a point home to a mixed crowd of sinners and Pharisees that there is joy over the repentance of one sinner. He's trying to get into their mind the reason I'm eagerly receiving these people, scribes and Pharisees, who are always practicing the right things, the reason I want tax collectors who are not practicing the right things, 
and harlots who are not practicing the right things is because I want them to come home to their father. That's what I want. But it wasn't enough to tell him that story twice. He gets really detailed, and the story I want to zero in on, the one that we know so well, is the prodigal son. Now that you've got the setting, now that you understand who is listening to this story, this is his third parable to describe how God is with sinners. The man has two sons. Verse 11 and 12, the younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. I want what's coming. Now this is the younger son, so in Jewish law, according to Deuteronomy, he's going to get a third, and the older son's going to get two-thirds. He knows that. He wants it now. This would have been off the charts insulting and wrong in the culture, the Jewish culture, to have your father give you the inheritance so that you can just go off and do whatever you want would have been rude to a degree that we don't really have an equivalent in our culture. It would have been so dishonoring. What, do you, what are you actually saying? If, because when do you normally get an inheritance? When dad's dead. So what happens when you ask for an inheritance in advance? Hey dad, uh, this has been great and all, but you're dead to me. I would just prefer to have the money. Just, just give me the estate. And the Bible doesn't even mention the audience would have known. So guess what's happening to the Pharisee group when they hear this? They're like, where is this story going? Because they would have been really ticked off at this idea. He divides the property between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered. In Greek, it's really saying he cashed in. He liquidated the estate. He sold whatever it was. He turned it into cash so that he could go use it. He took a journey into a far country. He got as far away as he could. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. The King James, I believe, says loose living, which actually conveys what he went to go do. What do you think a young man goes and does with a bunch of money? He went off and did all the sinful stuff you can think of. If you skip all the way down to verse 30, which we're not reading, the older son says, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, to give you an idea of what he had done with loose living, he spent all of his money on drugs and prostitutes. The first century's version of drugs. And he lived a high life. I picture somebody in a modern context going to Las Vegas and living it up for as long as that money will last. That's what he's doing. And then he runs out of all the money. Which does not cause him to repent. 
Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. I could make a preacher point here and just say, it's interesting how sin leads to famine. There's always a part of sin that is enticing. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. And it's always exciting at first, and it's always wonderful at first, and then it dries up. And the excitement that drew you there is gone. So you must pursue new excitements. And this is how sin increases in our lives. And he runs into a famine. It arose in the country, and he began to be in need. He doesn't have any money, and he's nowhere near any relatives. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. The Pharisees hearing this, you know what they just heard? He's out there with a bunch of filthy Gentiles. That's what the Pharisees just heard. And it gets worse. And Jesus means it to get worse. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Pharisees over here, do you know what you're doing now? You are seething at this idea. Not only did he insult his father, not only did he go commit horrific acts of sin, he is now at the lowest of the low feeding pigs which are unclean to touch for a Jew. And it's so bad in verse 16, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. All the friends he probably had while he was spending the money are no longer his friends. That is also an odd thing, how this works. Definitely wanted to hang out when he had money and making it rain in the club. But now that it's all gone... He's out there starving in a famine, feeding pigs, jealous of their food. Just picture how terrible this is. Verse 17 is awesome. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, this is what repentance looks like. Jesus told about a sheep that was found and a coin that was found. Now he, find, now he talks about a man that re-found his, himself, his, and it's the result of conviction. He is in the middle now of an awakening. And this is how God is merciful in our sin. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? Hired servants here is about one notch up above slave. Hired servants are the people that work for a single day's wage and they get paid at the end of the day like the parable Jesus tells when he goes looking for all the people to come work in the fields. Hired servants get a single day's wage. It's not very much. You can think of it as minimum, minimum wage, barely enough to get by. And in this father's house, however, he says the hired servants there have more than enough. And that's what he's remembering. My father's hired servants have more than enough bread. But I perish here with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now the Pharisees probably at this point are saying, this is the first time that Jesus has made any sense. That is exactly the way he should be talking. When he realizes the shame that he has brought on his father and all of the sins that he's committed, he doesn't deserve to be a son. He has got a debt that is so big that it can never be paid off. This makes sense. Jesus, finally, finally, I hope these tax collectors are listening. That's what you guys are saying. I hope they hear this. They are not even worthy to be called sons. The best they should hope for is to have their head bowed for the rest of their lives in shame. Don't even look us in the eye. This is right. Finally, Jesus, give it to them. That's kind of what the Pharisees are doing right here. At least, just extrapolating that a little bit out of the text. That's what the Pharisees would feel. And you hear what the son feels. The kind of shame that says, I cannot even look my father in the eye. I will not even be considered a son. I have ruined my life. It's my fault. I don't know if you've ever been here, but I know that you have. We commit sin as Christians, and it has this effect on us. I'm not saying the effect is wrong. The most important part so far has been verse 17. He came to himself. The first thing in our sin is to acknowledge we've committed it. But the most natural thing in the world is to feel this condemnation. And Jesus keeps talking. And he arose and came to his father. A swine-covered, stinking mess in a famine, probably has lost 50 pounds, looks just gross. He starts back home, rehearsing a speech in his head. Just hire me back, Father, as a servant. Just, just hire me back and I will work for the rest of my life as a hired servant, making barely enough money, and I'll have at least some bread, and I will pay you back until I die. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The Pharisees are no longer happy with this story. Because this doesn't make any sense. I want you to think about the father who is in a position where he saw him before the son is close. He's in a position where he sees the son before the son knows that the father is looking. 
1 John says that we love Him because He first loved us. Jesus said that He came to seek and save the lost. This parable tells me that the Father was looking down the road that if a son was coming home, that's where it would be. And the Father is looking. This is a picture of God that the Pharisees had no frame of reference for. They had a frame of reference for, that's right, shame. That's right, hired servant. That's right, work that debt off until you're dead and don't look any of us in the eyes who are righteous and above you, swine boy. And here is Jesus telling them that the Father sees him down the road and runs to embrace him. I found out that running for a wealthy Jewish man was unacceptable. In fact, scribes had rules that said, men don't run. Do you know why they had those rules? Because as you run, your robes flap up and it might expose your spindly, gross legs. Not only do we not want to see that, it's unacceptable and it is undignified. So wealthy Jewish men, really Jewish men in general, if they were running, it meant they were being chased by something like a bear or they didn't do it. And so Jesus complicates the picture by giving the Jewish audience an image of a wealthy, landowning Jewish father who has been insulted and who has a son covered in pig slop coming home and rather than releasing wrath and anger and throwing him into a cell to think about how horrible he's been and giving him lectures and just coming down on him like everybody would expect. Instead, he's running to embrace him. And kissing his pig-swine face. Covered in the sin and the gross yuck of everything he's done, God, with compassion, runs to the sinner and embraces him. And the son begins a rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad cuts the speech off right there. Everything he just said is true. But here's the response. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. What? This son deserved to be a hired servant. This son was unworthy. This son had committed sin. And God is saying, I came to save 
sinners. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God is not waiting for perfection to come down the road. Ah, I'll save that one. Look, look how squeaky clean. God is after swine-covered, sinful people because He displays His love and His glory through the salvation of sinners. And the restoration... Because I think, I think this story really can run in a parallel. One, I think it is a story of God's heart towards sinners. And I think it is also a picture of God's heart towards sons who have wandered away and need to come back home. I think both things are applicable here. I think it works both ways. This is the way God views His children. He loves you. I know you're covered in sin. I know you messed up. This is why I died for you. Not because you are great, but because my love for you is great. Not because you're perfect, but because my love and righteousness are perfect. And I am going to put a robe on you and a ring on your finger. You notice there are shoes involved in this conversation? That's to signify he's not going to be a slave. He is a son. Slaves are barefoot. Sons wear shoes. Go get the shoes. You are my child. That is what's happening here. It is a beautiful, wonderful picture of who God is. For this my son was dead and is alive again. We thought he was dead. There's a famine. He was lost, but now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus, in these stories, is giving a picture of who God is that the Pharisees did not have. And he has them as an audience because he wants the Pharisees and the tax collectors to know this is who God is. He wants them to know that there is rejoicing in heaven. There is joy. Some people struggle with the concept. That's why Jesus is trying to give word pictures to give you an idea of the joy over finding that which is lost. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus is now making a connection and saying, when one of those lost ones are found, there is rejoicing in heaven. This, this is hard to accept. Not only are you not going to be turned into a servant that just has to keep his head down and his nose clean and follow the rules, you are a son with a robe and a party to celebrate you being here. There is a party every time somebody that is lost is found. Heaven rejoices. And then one day, we're all going to go to heaven and just rejoice and worship and rejoice and worship forever and ever and ever and ever. 
Now next week, somebody probably needs to go get Jennifer because we're going to do something here at the end. Next week, we are going to talk even more to the Pharisees because the story isn't over, by the way. How many of you know the story isn't over? Jesus in this parable was kind to the Pharisees. And you're going to find that out next week. If you think that Jesus only came to seek and save the tax collectors, you're wrong. He also came to seek and save the Pharisees. He came to seek and save the intelligentsia as well as the proletariat. You can look those up if you don't know what those are. Jesus came to save the rich and the powerful and the poor and the weak. Jesus doesn't make distinctions among red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Jesus came to save and so the rest of the parable goes on to talk about this other group of people that he had a lot of criticism for, but he also had mercy and he also had a message of hope for them. And I want you to come back next week to hear that. But worship team, if you guys want to come up. How many of you relate to the prodigal son? Anybody have... I, I grew up in church, wandered away, was covered in much swine. My mom tricked me into coming to church when I was 19. She did. She totally tricked me. Uh, really, I was just trying to get her off my back because I was an adult after all at age 19 and knew pretty much close to everything that you needed to know, Right? Any other 19-year-old males uh, go through that? And so, just trying to get mom to quit harping at me, and I go to church, and, uh, and I was ambushed by the Holy Spirit. was totally not prepared that he would be there, and that he would go right past all of my rehearsed speeches, straight into my heart, and say, I love you. This is real. He didn't bring up a laundry list of all the wrong. When you're covered in pig slop, nobody needs a list. We already know. God already knows. What God does in that moment is embrace. What God does in that moment is heal. That's what He does. The worship team wrote a song. Rob wrote this song uh, about the prodigal son. And it's about the father in the moment that he sees the sun off in the distance and he's coming to rescue. And I wanted the worship team, I wanted them to come up and do this song because I want to give all of you an opportunity. You, you can do whatever you like, but I want you to either bow your head or you can come up to the altar. Sometimes, you know, depending on where you grew up and how you grew up, sometimes just making an act of faith, you can do that. But if you are the prodigal this morning, you're either the prodigal who grew up with God or had some experience with God and then you left, 
and you're out there in the famine, or you're the prodigal who has never known the loving embrace of a father. You're one of two prodigals. I want to I ask you to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I return to you and I believe that you are this loving father that embraces. So while they're singing this song, spend some time with the loving father. that were not my own In my pride I cannot remember What it was to be at your throne of my soul I cry out and struggle to find my way Oh, 
distance The joy to my eyes I see the one who loves me As he begins to rise Ahead in the distance The joy to my eyes I see the one who loves me As he begins to Father, we thank you for the image of you running towards us. God, for every prodigal who feels too far away, open their heart to see. Show them your salvation. Show them your love and your mercy. God, we rejoice for every lost one that comes home. God, I pray that there would be many listening today or listening some other day online here in this room. God, do your work in our hearts. God, we rejoice. Help us to see the world through the eyes of these stories that show us the Father's heart. Lord, we thank you for it today. In the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, Now, anybody that would need to talk or would like to talk, we are always available to talk. And um, either phone call or contact us through the website. Um, we would love to talk to prodigals who have questions or who just need somebody to talk to or to pray with. Um, but go out this week, look at the world that you work with through the eyes of this, this story.
And who knows what kind of conversations you will find yourself in as you are reading your Bibles, right? Everybody's reading through. Everybody's doing the the Bible reading. Um, I'm hearing lots of encouraging stuff out of that. Super exciting. Who knows what God will do? Read your Bible and pray every day. You'll grow, grow, grow. That's what the song says. Church, you are officially dismissed. Thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Come back next week. I thought I was forgetting something, but I don't think I am.